you are in the grotto pod. I am in the grotto pod. I waited until the last minute. Bridget Quinn, author who Sorry. forgot to take off her sweatshirt. <sighs> Sorry. Is in the grotto like pod. got super hot. Ladies and gentlemen, the PG-13 part of the grotto pod is now I did over. It. Remember, did you remember? I can't bongo you out taking off your sweatshirt. <laughs> Do you remember seeing Flashdance? I never saw Flashdance. What? Oh, my God. What kind of an 80s kid were you? Not that kind, apparently. Anyway, she does something pretty hot that I was not doing. Yeah. Uh, you mean that when you were just dancing with the water spraying on you? That wasn't hot? <laughs> no, she okay. takes, uh, no, I went out of Anywho. Today, we have a treat for you. Fans of the Grotto Pod, fans of comedy. Fans of the New Yorker. Fans of the New Yorker. Irving Ruan, I probably Larry just mispronounced it. Well, I had one job and one job Irving only. How to pronounce his last name? I know how to pronounce his first name because it's the same name as my grandfather. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah, uh, Irving is a comedian, yep. a comic writer, a humorist, and a writer. And, and, a, and a writer. We just had coffee with Irving, and he told us he's not sure he's a writer. And I beg to differ because I'll tell you what: you go to Irving's page, Irving Ruan, R U A N dot com. You go to his publications page, you will find, I'm going to say, 30 mm-hmm. links from the last two years. And, like, two of them, just off the top of my head, are The New Yorker and McSweeney's. So if you publish there, you're a writer. Three times The New Yorker the last oh year. Oh, my God. That's so crazy. McSweeney's, Funny or Die, College Humor, The Bold Italic, and all of this in the last two years. That's awesome. If so by awesome. now you have guessed that Irving is a young man... You would be correct. <laughs> Why? Because he has the stamina to do that? No, because he didn't start publishing till two years ago. Oh, I see what you're saying. All that happened in the last two years, and that is his publishing history. Correct. Holy shit, totally. That's crazy. Yes. Okay, I probably published that much in the first 20 years of writing. You well, know, no, that's not quite right. I actually kind of. published a ton yeah, same, but like but very small. I think places. The, not in the New Yorker. No, certainly no, no. not. Still not. The New Yorker. Uh, I would say Alternative Weeklies long since lost to history. Yes, same. Sad. I used to write for a magazine called Rhythm and News. Oh, instead <laughs> of Rhythm and Blues. Get it? I was first published in Big Whoop. Oh, that sounds good. Is that and funny? Then was it, funny? it was funny. And then I became a music writer for Pandemonium. Ooh. Yeah, Pandemonium. Remember Blender? I do remember Blender. I didn't get anything in Blender. And then I was a writer for Face to Face. That was my first cover story. Oh, my first cover story was Swing. Do you remember that? I do remember David Swing. David Lauren's magazine. Wow. My first cover story was an interview with the band Sky Cries Mary. Oh, I remember They were that such name. liars. No offense, Sky Cries Mary. I think your cover of 2,000 Light Years from Home is brilliant. But there are leaders in a band. Even if you think you're a collective. Oh, did they keep saying that's so Right, we're all leaders. But they were fantastic. I mean, really, if you ever get a chance to look up their music, it's really good. Every once in a while when we're listening. And they wore funny hats. Oh, I like that in a band, generally. Uh, When something will be on, I'll say to my kids, oh, hey, I interviewed them once. Yeah. Their reaction's always like, oh. Oh, see, I get get a lot of juice out of that still. Well, because you probably interviewed bigger bands. Although sometimes they're big bands. I don't think so. No, I didn't interview big bands. I interviewed little bands. Um, but I also have an only child. Oh, he's more into you than my kids? Yeah, but which means he has something in common with our guest today. Oh, that's true. Irving, oh, I like how you brought it back around. Segue. Irving is an only child. Um, <clears throat> I had a lot of questions to ask Irving. Unfortunately, we've already asked a lot of them. No, I don't want to. But can I give away the most surprising part of our conversation? Which was it? He's from Montana. Oh, yeah. Well, he's not from Montana. What? 
Yes, he is. He lived, he lived in Montana. Okay, but still, when I he was don't a think... child, that makes you from there. Yes. Okay, he has also lived in Montana, which is uh, a very rare thing. It's been a long time since we had a fellow Montanan in this year, Grotto Pod, Jack Bulwer. Bulwer? Bulwer? What usually happens is... I can mispronounce any name. Bring a Smith and you'll call him Smythe. <laughs> that is actually true. I don't know how to... J- Jack, give us a give us a jingle. Give us Tell a jingle, us. Jack. Jingle, Jack. It's that time of year. Oh, true. Uh, let's it's see. It's Jew's favorite time of year. You know what I want? I, I'm so excited to talk about comedy, and I'm so excited. You know, I read an article in Vulture, an interview with uh, Irving. What? Yeah. Wait, how did I miss this? Uh, it's on his website. talks about Asian-American comedy and being an Asian oh, comedian. Yeah. And I think I told you when I we were texting Vulture. last night in between texts about um, Field of Dreams. Uh, Good movie. Excellent movie. I don't want to hear anything about this. That I'm really interested in this idea of... Asian comedy, Jewish comedy, Irish comedy, we're all here. You know, is there really Irish comedy? I don't, well, I think it's maybe black humor. I know, Irish Irish comedy is like you're at a wake and someone you love died. Right. That's that's where it happens. And you're drunk. Completely. (laughs) But there's definitely Jewish comedy. Yeah. And I'm interested to think that there's a thing called Asian comedy now. Well, and also I wonder if it comes in waves, like next wave of immigrants. I wonder if it's like boxing. Follow oh, me here. Right. Yeah, no, I, I think boxing I always represents the most recent class of immigrants. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. now you now you got Russian boxers, you got Southeast Asian boxers, right. used to be Jewish boxers, Irish, Italian boxers, boxers African American boxers. Right. Yeah, so maybe comedy is similar in that way. I don't know. I mean, I have to say, I was cracking up. I like, I'm not Asian, but his Asian stuff is funny. <laughs> I was cracking up at yeah. his stuff about his parents. It was really funny. It's observational stuff. Yeah. It's it's really funny, and he is now sitting in your office wearing a delightful little scarf. And it's a leather jacket, cold in San Francisco, but, but it not is here in the Grotto Pod. It's hot. Here. It's hot here in the Grotto Pod, <laughs> and I am wearing a flannel shirt. Bad move, Rosen. Yeah, you should wear layers like I do. Uh, I do, but I have a bad T-shirt. Anyways, okay. that's enough about that. Maybe we should go get Irving Never and continue enough. this party. All right, All right go get Before him. Irving. Okay. Okay, Irving, with your scarf. And your little tiny glass of water. Welcome to the Grotto Pod. Thank you. Really glad to be here. It's good to have you. Do you feel targeted by how Larry just addressed you? I know. <laughs> I feel very vulnerable right now. I, yes. I was establishing my power <laughs> position. You're going to feel hot. <laughs> I know. That's why I put out the scarf, because you are going to get warm as I unbutton my top button here to demonstrate to if you. If I scooch this back, I'll get in trouble. You might. Okay, we're good. My elbows. <clears throat> Anyhow, uh, during our intro, we did talk about how we just probably got our best material out of the way while we were sitting in a coffee shop, but we're excited to have you here. It's going to be a good time, I think. Yeah, really looking forward to seeing what comes out of this, especially as the heat heats up. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we like to stretch out the bar- the episodes so we can wear down your defenses and eventually get to the real you. That's right. Great. Just like a third date. <laughs> and I'm going to dive right in because... Larry doesn't know about those. <laughs> it's been a long time. It's been a long time. Um, I'm going to dive right in because something you were talking about struck me... Um, when we were sitting at the coffee shop, and it was, we were talking about just a little background for you listeners who weren't there at the coffee shop. Maybe you were, but you didn't know it was us, or you were afraid to approach us. If you <laughs> see us in public, please feel free to approach us. Um, you were talking about the phenomenon of feeling like you needed to make people laugh for acceptance, and you said that was sort of the roots of why you got into comedy at first. Because when I was looking at you know your bio, I was thinking, why did this guy get into comedy? You clearly have another career going here, and it's a successful one. 
What are the roots of the comedy? Where did that start? You mentioned improv, I'm assuming, in college. Let's go before that. Yeah, so uh, I grew up as the only child, and so I always found entertainment through books and TV and movies, and I felt like the genre I always gravitated towards was comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I never felt like I could do it, and it was only in the past two years when I started doing improv here in the Bay Area that I felt, oh, wow, I could make people laugh while being on stage, which was very weird to me. So you didn't do it in college? No, never. I wow. was, I was, I did computer engineering in college. So I was mostly in which is dungeons. hilarious. <laughs> I know it is really funny. It's yeah. a springboard for a lot of good comedians, <laughs> right? Exactly. It's a perfect. Wait, I yeah. cut you off the Dungeons and Dragons. They still play that. Did you say oh. you were a Dungeons and Dragons? <laughs> I, I was. I did play Dungeons and Dragons growing up, but what I was trying to say was oh. in college, I was in. So I went to school at UCSD, the and there was a dungeon in there in which all the computers were down there. Oh. So I spent all my time underneath kind of the surface of the earth just mushrooming. Again, a great opportunity for comedy. Yeah, I can see how this was right. And I want to get this out of the way because I'm really interested in this. When you were growing up, who were your favorite comedians? Who influenced you? Oh, Conan O'Brien. Conan? Conan O'Brien, yeah. So absurdist stuff. Oh, he's funny. Really? I just don't stay up late enough. What did I just hear him on? He was on a podcast. Oh, it was Bill Simmons. And he's he, just talking, like Conan O'Brien talking to someone is hilarious. Yeah, I love his stuff. I just remember growing up, uh, my parents would not allow me to watch TV up late. So every time my parents would go to bed, I would say, okay, I'm going to bed. And then as soon as they would leave, I would turn on TV and watch Late Night with Conan O'Brien. That was how I got my laughs. So, Why are you making so me own with your mouth? I know, so disobedient. Is that a racial <laughs> slur? <laughs> no, absolutely not. I'm like, I would never, well, I would have been terrified of my father. You weren't scared of I'm still terrified. You weren't scared that he was going to like, kick your ass if you went back and watched? more of my mother, but yeah, oh. I mean, just... Yeah. Well, and, and I got to ask, you're only 28 years old. Why aren't you just watching stuff on YouTube the next day? <laughs> you know, uh, my parents would also limit my internet, too. Wow. So I would, only get, I would only get 30 minutes of internet every day uh, growing up, and so I had to wow. really allocate that mostly towards homework. And when I mean homework, I mean Wikipedia. So Yeah, yeah, oh, totally. Yeah. Wait, so this makes me just feel like destiny is going to find you no matter what. Right? Because you were limited in your access, but you had to have it. I did. Yeah. I did. I love that. I'm going to take a roundabout way to get here, but... You know, I feel like eventually, if you're, if you're living life the right way, what you do with your time is what you want to do with your time, and that will find you, because you'll be doing it with your time. So how does it balance out now? I mean, you've got a a 40-hour-a-week job that I assume you like, Mm -hmm. that I assume you're doing pretty well at. And you're doing? Com- are you doing comedy on this? Are you writing on the side? Yeah, yeah. It's, def- God, it's definitely hard. It's definitely hard to balance, it, especially since my day job is just 180 degrees different from writing and comedy. I mean, it is as I think as logically oriented as it is. Right. It's, you know, programming. But I've read so. that you're very passionate about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Larry has seen my LinkedIn profile many times. Uh, uh, God, he's yeah. not going to let it go. Oh right. shoot! I didn't write down the guy's name. By far the most passionate engineer I've ever come across. By far. Well, it's a low bar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When people talk about me, it's definitely a low bar. <laughs> no, uh, no, I mean, I mean, passionate engineers. Oh, Not okay, you're a high it. bar. You're the highest bar there is. You, twenty years old as a writer, have lived the dream that I'm still. What did I say? Twenty nine. You said twenty. I said twenty. Did she say twenty? Maybe, but you know, I am Asian, so I can look like I'm twenty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, rubbing it in, whatever. <laughs> um, but I mean, really. You have hit some really high watermarks as a writer. Like mm-hmm. you should feel amazing about that. Do you, or has it come? Has it kind of come easy? Do you feel like? I wish it comes easy. Okay. It, I mean, 
we, I think we were talking a little bit about this earlier at the coffee shop, but uh, writing is still, you know, it's very difficult for me. And I think for me, uh, it, I think will continue to be hard probably for the rest of my life. I think, I don't know how many other writers feel like this, but... Nobody thinks it's easy. <laughs> is, is inspiration hard for you or is actually completing the task hard for you? Um, I find that uh, both are hard. I mean, I think it depends. Like sometimes I'm sure with any writer, any sort of artist, ideas will visit us at the most random place and think those are really nice. I wish I had more of those moments. Oftentimes I just have to sit at my desk and come up with headlines or different ideas or conceits. Um, but also writing too. Some pieces I have a really great time with and most pieces are really hard to just get through. Yeah. It's like the jokes aren't coming. None of it makes sense. The first draft sucks, obviously. So. Do you turn your writing brain off while you're at work? I do, yeah. I try to at least. But, How yeah. do you know if something's funny? Like, do you show it to a, a writing partner or an editorial partner, and they're like, "Yes, this works." Yes, that because I, when I have people read my stuff, they're reading for story, but it must be something else you're reading for if it's comedy. Yeah, I, it- I mean, I don't know if the, I'm alone in this, but I, I have had to trust my intuition. I mean, starting out with comedy writing because I'm, I, you know, I don't know about you guys, but you know, certainly San Francisco isn't really a comedy mecca, if you will. I think Chicago, LA, and New York. It once was. Right. True. Yeah. So I mean, it's very hard, I think, to find a lot of people where I can just, you know, workshop. So certainly as a writer, you kind of exist in your own world. So Mm -hmm. as I'm writing these jokes, I don't really feel like I want to bother my friends. So I have to trust, is this funny? And I just have to be rigorous about that process. And it can be really lonely. A lot of times I get it wrong, but the few times when I do get it right, it's like, yes, got a good joke. Yeah, how's your compass? Do you feel like, I mean, were you funny as a kid? Do you appreciate? I was not funny as a kid. No, I was very, really? very shy. Yeah. Wow. I wish I was funny. There was the people who were the funniest in school that I saw. I mean, I always envy them. It's like, mm-hmm. I want that skill, right? <laughs> like, that's why I watch Conan because when he's around so many of these strangers, he can just, you know, make everyone laugh. And I was like, I wish I had that. There's that thing, acceptance. Right. Irish. That's Irish? Irish humor. We were talking about. Oh, so yeah, I was really, I didn't want to really jump ahead to that, but I thought, oh. how cool. <laughs> And just, I just really want to talk and not let Bridget talk. But <laughs> I just thought how cool, you know, I read this interview with you in Vulture where you talked about being an Asian American comedian. And I thought about this idea of Asian humor. And I'm like, well, yeah, actually some people are getting mileage out of that now. I'm Jewish and that's our thing. Jewish humor. <laughs> so we were telling, is there Irish humor? Bridget's Irish. And, like, I don't. and I thought, well, maybe there isn't really Irish humor. But then you say Conan O'Brien. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because he talks a lot about like being repressed and growing up Catholic. And there's yeah. a lot of humor in that, too. Oh, so well, that, that's like a yeah, goldmine. Do you think it's hard? <laughs> Let me try to phrase this as delicately as possible. But is it, I mean, being anything, any type of other is really fertile ground for mining comedy. But is it also dangerous ground? If you're going to be an Asian American comedian, is there a line you cannot cross? Yeah, that's a great question. I haven't thought too rigorously about that. And I wish I did. I think, you know, I can't remember who said it, but someone had said comedy is just a way to test where the line is drawn. And mm, I think, I think for true. me right now with the material that I've written and I've performed, I think it's been fairly innocent. It hasn't really crossed that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think as I get further along in this path... I think there's going to be a juncture where I'm going to have to ask myself, what line am I ready to cross or do I want to start testing? And I haven't gotten there yet. And, you know, hopefully I'll get there to this extent that allow me to, you know, grow and to see Mm -hmm. what's funny and not funny. But, yeah, I just haven't had too much experience to really know what that is yet. And and how much of what you're writing, I know I've I've read some of it and, and certainly not all of it is mined from that. But how how much of the, how how do you feel about that balance of balancing that? Because it is, I mean, it's a hook. 
Yeah, it's it's definitely difficult. I mean, I think when I start out writing something, uh, when I hope it's funny and so forth, I don't really think about in terms of is this really crossing a line or whatever. I just want to write things that make me laugh. And, mm-hmm. you know, right now what makes me laugh, most of the material is fairly innocent. Um, but I think trying to balance this, certainly some of the pieces I've written about Asian culture and everything, I have to be a bit more sensitive to that. Like, is this actually going to be offensive? Am I actually downplaying my own culture? My or own... contributing to a stereotype Absolutely, that is, like, right. not helpful? Well, who's your audience when you're writing that? Wait, who's in mind? Yeah, I mean, when the pieces that I've written that are about specifically, you know, growing up in an Asian-American household, you know, I think of a lot of the Asian-Americans out there uh, who have had very similar experiences to me. So I remember one of the most recent pieces I wrote was called Google Translate for Asian parents. Yeah. <laughs> Which <And> is funny. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, and I just remember I was looking on the internet and there were a lot of Asian Americans posting, reading this was more cathartic than going to therapy. Oh, Which, how'd that feel? I mean, that, that must feel great. Yeah. I yeah. felt just on top of the world and just, wow, like what high compliments. And to me, that was one of the best things I've ever heard about my writing because not only was I, I think, able to make them laugh, but also it, I think, made them feel seen in a way or made them feel mm-hmm. like somebody understood were growing up in an Asian-American household. And that is something I never would have expected in my comedy writing. And that, to me, is really great to make people feel seen. But can I just say, uh, people should definitely check out that piece. It's in McSweeney's. Mm -hmm. Um, And it has a mom character. And has your mom read it? She has. Yes. <laughs> and what she say? <laughs> she thought it was funny. And when I, okay, I when I told my dad about this, the first thing he asked, uh, because McSweeney's will post up a picture, and there are some random picture of these Asian parents. And my dad, he didn't even comment on my writing. He's just asked directly, "Did you get copyright for this photo?" <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's so awesome! I, I have to say, I was so charmed on our way to the coffee shop because. I also have a story, and one of the things I want to talk to you about is writing about your family mm. or, you know, ostensibly your family, I guess. Mm-hmm. They're not necessarily your family in that story, but you kind of know it. <laughs> right. Um, and I have a piece out right now that's also about my family that's a little scary to have them read. And then I found out you also grew up in Montana. Mm-hmm. Like, that's pretty funny. Like, this dully bizarre <clears throat> coincidence that we didn't know. Yeah. Larry says you didn't grow up there. I'll be back in 10 minutes. No, you guys go ahead stop. and do the Montana thing. <laughs> yeah. But it is a no, bizarre you, coincidence. Yeah, it is. Well, it's not where I think an Asian guy would be from. <laughs> No, definitely not. To be indelicate. Yeah. I just want to say, though, that my godfather is Japanese-American, and there are Asians in Montana. A few Jews, too. 200. Oh, good to know. I didn't know any. <laughs> 200 Jews. Wow. Yeah. So, so it's kind of creepy that you know that. but uh, I know. I did it, too. Well, yeah, we, come on, Larry. We, we did all that stuff on the other podcast about the... Um, oh, right. The, 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 the Billings white, thing. Yeah. No, it wasn't Billings. It was Oh, no, white, you're talking about the whitefish thing. Whitefish, You're yeah. talking about the bad story. I'm talking about the good story. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You don't know what I'm talking about. Anyways, anyway, back to you. And so you grew I mean, how long were you in Bozeman? I was there for about three to four years around that time. Yeah, this was after we had moved from China. To so America. how was that? Because it's so not are, a place that's set up. You're not first generation. You're immigrant. You're yeah. an immigrant. Mm-hmm. Totally. So how was that? I mean, that must have been super uh, culture shock. Yeah, it was very challenging. I mean, uh, they had to start an ESL class at my elementary school because of me. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. So what's the crazy. weight of that on a little kid? Oh, gosh, reflecting on it now, I mean, it's certainly a lot. And I think I was just so young that it was hard to internalize that. But, you know, as I'm reflecting on it, it was very difficult because, one, I had to learn a new language. And, two, everyone looked so different mm-hmm. than right. me. For, you know, for the first five years of my life, I thought, oh, everyone in the world looks like me. And then when we came to America, right. I was like, oh, that's actually not true. <clears throat> and how hard is it to sort of suss out your classmates' response as being based on 
seeing something they've never seen before versus having negative feelings. Yeah, I I just remember I always felt very different and I didn't think I, I didn't have the language back then to articulate how I felt at all. Of and, course. And I just remember, you know, on field trips and especially going to school bus every morning, you know, just seeing kids communicating and laughing and wishing that I knew English as well as they did to be mm. able to participate. Yeah, yeah. Made me feel like I mm. want to belong so badly and I just didn't have the language skills to do Were that. Were you bullied on the bus? There I were times growing up super growing up, yeah. bullied on the bus. Yeah. Yeah, I was definitely bullied growing up. Um, certainly felt my fair share of racism, and I think yeah. you know, that was unfortunate. And even in San Diego, which was. That surprises yeah. me. Yeah. It so, shouldn't. Especially I know it's a military shouldn't. town, yeah. Right. Um, what I find um, funny and unfair is that you do not have a Southern California accent, and I do. Um, <laughs> that's so wrong. <laughs> like, you got away. <laughs> I did, yeah. Uh, I guess I love And that. I didn't. But you lived there from age nine to 18 then yeah i mean i lived there for a good amount of time but yeah so I, why didn't you acquire it i wonder you know maybe i just hung out with a different group of people most <sighs> of my friends were uh either asian or jewish and so i think it was very hard to probably you can leave now you have a less socal so, accent than i do well i lived in pennsylvania until i was 11 and my parents were i New lived Yorkers. in montana until i was 14 what does a Montana accent sound like? Like Irving. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it is. It's, a, it's one of the most standard American. Like, you can't hear it. Yeah. And I'm so jealous. You have used SoCal accent. stupid. You have good fun. <laughs> That's not how Montanans sound. Talk, Irving. No. It's how, <laughs> no. Orange County kids sound like that because they're displaced Midwesterners. Oh, it is. And Southerners. Yeah, I looked into this. Yeah, it's really interesting sort of, what's the word for studying language? Not etymology. Um, linguistics. Linguistics, whatever. Back to Irving. Okay. I had a question backing up a little ways, though. And now it's sort of not germane, but the, <laughs> the McSweeney's article, so it spoke to all these Asian people, you know, but are, are we supposed to laugh at it, too? I mean, how, is I that thought okay? It was funny. I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, it was stuff I didn't know. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, it, I certainly uh, wasn't thinking about, oh, I'm going to make Asians laugh. I want to make everyone right. laugh. And I think, you know, we live in such an interesting time right now where culture is so much a part of our conversation. I mean, we're mm-hmm. talking about so many different backgrounds. And I mm-hmm. think it's so great that if I can share a little something about my background or my culture through comedy and people, if they laugh at it, that's great. But if they feel like that's similar to their experience, even all the better. And I'm so glad you guys found it funny. But I'm sure you guys have met people or know people who've had parents like that. Totally. You know? So or even your own parents for that matter. I don't know. So, But there's also something really fun about pieces like that where you feel in the know. You know, it's like, oh, you get this yeah. peek at a different side of life and it's fun. I like But that. is there a little danger involved where we could read that and go, aha, I knew it. I was right. Perhaps. <laughs> Perhaps. Yeah. And I, I think, think that's all comedy tri- is. Yeah. yeah. I think that's yeah. a really tricky ground that I'm still learning to navigate. And- right. The thing is, I feel like if comedy isn't dangerously wrong, it's not funny. Right. What do you think? Though, I don't know. I, think, I mean, I think we live in a time where that that message is getting lost a little bit. In, it's harder to be funny, though. Right. People it is are harder saying to that. be funny. But I also don't want to pigeonhole Irving as only writing about the Asian experience. I mean, I thought your Airbnb for Irving's brain or whatever it was called in The New Yorker. That was just frighteningly real. Yeah. <laughs> but you, had a re- you did a really good job of taking what is an experience we take for granted, you know, reading Airbnb reviews. You take it for granted, right? I want to get an Airbnb. Never done I'm going to read the reviews. Um, and then sort of not really tweaking it that much. That's good satire reminding <laughs> us that it's kind of ridiculous to start. 
let me just tweak it a little bit and show you just how ridiculous it is. That was great. And it was universal. So when you write something like that, who's your audience? It's really for myself. Oh. Yeah. I I remember, I forgot who said it, but if you can't make yourself laugh when you're writing jokes or anything, you know, mm. what's the point? <laughs> and I always try to set out to, can I make myself laugh? And I think the most joyful moments for me, at least, in my writing is when I start writing a bunch of jokes and all of a sudden I write something and then I actually chuckle at it. <laughs> and that's when I know That must feel real. amazing. Yeah. And, yeah. I don't care who else laughs at it. The fact that I find it funny, that's what's important to me. And if other people find it funny, that's what's great. But... Let me ask you, when you get a piece taken by Shouts and Murmurs, are you pitching the idea or do you pitch the whole piece first? Because comedy is so ineffable, right? Yeah. Um, so with Shouts and Murmurs, I think with most comedy publications, it's always the full piece. Because it's it would really have hard. to be, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How did you learn how to do that? I mean, you were not trained. Mm-hmm. How did you learn? And then we're going to back up after that. But tell me first, how did you learn how to, how to query? Uh, sorry, how to, as, in terms of writing comedy? or Sure. How to, yeah, I just practiced. Um, I think I did it for the love of it. And it was, the I think, one of the first times in my life where I found an art form that genuinely made me happy. And I didn't care what would happen to it. I didn't care if I was published or whatever. It was just, I want to do this because it makes me so happy and it makes me feel alive. And that just what helped wow. me get through it. So Check out Irving bringing his well-adjusted life into our podcast. I know. <laughs> I love it. I mean, that's really the so ideal good. way to do it because everything above that's gravy then. Mm-hmm. That's great. Okay, let's back up a little bit then. So you are in college as in down there growing mold, solving <laughs> engineering <laughs> issues. Right. Mushrooming. Does, exactly. yes. Mushrooming. It uh, sounds so fun, mushrooming, but it's not really. <laughs> a different school. <laughs> yeah. um, at what point did you start? Well, did you start improv before you started writing? Yeah, I did. So my, I guess what you could call my very short comedy career, I started out doing improv. Um, this really came out of me wanting to just get out of my comfort zone. And, and what, so, was the, what was the, ta- what was the, how much time elapsed between thinking, I want to try improv, to actually being on stage doing improv? I think it was about a month. Only oh a month. Yeah, God. he's a man of action. So awesome. He's 28 years old sitting here in our podcast studio. <laughs> Not 20. Not 20. Was 20. Not anymore. So was Look I. 20. So was I. Looks 20. For all the listeners out there. <laughs> all the ladies. Yes. <laughs> so you start doing improv. And, and I mean, I know, you know, because I said I listen to a lot of comedians' podcasts, and a lot of them do improv and end up writing as sort of a necessary thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to be a writer. I, I remember listening to one where they were, there was this comedian named Big J. Okerson, and the host Brian Koppelman was arguing that you need to be a writer. You're not a writer. You're just a performer. It's like, I don't need to be a writer. I just want to be a comedian. So a lot of men end up writing out of necessity. Oh, I don't understand what you're saying. Irving didn't start writing out of necessity. Yeah. He was doing improv. Then no, thought, I don't understand what that guy was saying. Oh, this guy was a successful comedian and the yeah. host was saying, if you really want to be successful, you have to start writing. Oh, I see. Okay. You can't okay. just be a comedian. Oh, I got you. Although you could argue that he's writing if he's doing standup. Right. That's but what did you pivot? What made you pivot? Yeah, I think for me, uh, improv was, I mean, it was so fun. It was kind of the sunlight in my life. I got performance, you know, oh, I got stage I time. Yeah, and just, you know, getting to make people laugh with my friends. It was great. And, and was this up here? Yeah, mm-hmm. this was in the bar- this was in the area. And I just felt like, oh, what if I started writing my own material? Like, what would happen if I sort of divorced myself from the group and say, like, can I come up with funny stuff by myself? Mm. Are you writing scenarios or actual scenes at that point? 
Yeah, I mean, for me, I started writing out sketches. That was kind of my first foray into comedy writing, writing out like short skits, if you will. And I just realized, oh, wow, there's a lot of connection from my improv background and training into writing. Because with improv, I don't know if you guys have done it, but you're just making stuff up on the yes, spot, and. right? Yes, and exactly. And so I think the words I've always heard from other writers is, oh, sometimes you got to plan writing and everything. And I'm uh, very foreign to that process. So I just took my improv background and just went into writing as if I was improvising with myself. That's so healthy for writing because I think so much of when you start to write that goes wrong is thinking, oh, no, that sucks. Oh, no, that sucks. Instead instead of saying, yes, and just see where this goes. Just yeah. see where it goes. Right. It was a it was permission for me yeah, to know that on my first draft things didn't have to be as funny as you know they could be right. Fantastic. And so it was just it was a basically permission slip for me to not be funny on the first draft <laughs> because it's a real fun challenge after that to make it funny. Right, and that's I think that's where all the gems I think come through is when you start editing. Right, as I think any writer can attest. Because sometimes the concept, if that's funny, it's just figuring out what's going to express the concept, right. like Airbnb for your brain. Right, that's mm-hmm. a concept. The writing has to be funny. Mm-hmm. It's figuring that part out. And the first positive feedback you got, was it being published or was it before that? Yeah, so I think this is where I felt like I lucked out for my own emotional health, if you will. Um, about, uh, I guess, almost two years ago, I had written this piece uh, merely out of frustration. So I was doing online dating at the time, and as I remember, you know, a lot of these really horrible first dates, and especially especially in San Francisco, you know, you get a bunch of these archetypes, right? Like the, you know, startup bro, you know, you get like the marketing manager, like you get all these archetypes. And I remember I went on a few dates with these types of archetypes, and I just felt there's so much comedic gold here, and I just felt, you know, I'm just going to try to write something funny. I had no care in the world what would happen. I wrote it. I published it on Medium, just like, you know, I didn't think no anyone would read it. Way. And there was, I didn't even expect it. It like went viral. Like people were reading it. People commented, like, this is so real. This is so funny. And that was my first comedic piece I've ever written. Wait, so you that, published yourself on Medium and it got shared right away and you got feedback immediately. I yeah, people loved it. Amazing. And I just had no idea. It was just really out of frustration. Well, and this, did you meet people as a result? <laughs> <laughs> I wish. I wish. Really? Well, has, no? I mean, has oh, anyone commented sad, ever that you have a knack for concepts because it seems like you know and not just because you're a young guy but the stuff you write about is pretty timely and pretty current and pretty easy for people to latch on to oh thank you for that yeah i've never heard that feedback from anyone so i I think you're the first if you start i mean when you said on you know speed dating or online dating like well duh that's like the most that's boom fastball down the middle in some ways that's hard to make funny because it's already funny like how did you how did you make it funny? Yeah, do you know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm not saying it's funny, but there is, it's it's absurd a little bit already. Yeah. So how well, you do you just make tweaked it? it a little bit? right? Yeah, so I don't remember. I mean, it was so long ago, but I remember the. I think the angle was it was not just typical. It was. Um, People would say just normal things, but I remember the parts that I made funny was the what their thought process was after oh, saying yeah, it. Oh, yes, that's funny. Yeah, I get it. Right? And so they would say, like, oh, yeah, I also go rock climbing. And then in their mind, the thought process is like, I've only been rock climbing once, and I know I should say this to impress the other date. You know? <laughs> Tenth, tenth grade birthday do. party or right. whatever, yeah. Right. And, that, and the, I think one of the guys in the piece, I, you know, he would say, oh, yeah, I love to brew craft beer. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, he's never brewed it before, but he knows, like, that's what he should say because he lives in San Francisco. Yeah. Yummy craft beer. I often think this about the Trump era, right? Like, it's so pushed. It's kind of hard, actually, to make things funny. Like, to, or satire. Oh, you mean to make it more crazy than it already is? Right. Yeah, I've I mean, I would. That. I mean, I don't know if it's true or not, but... 
you do see a lot of things it's hard when life is weird with so weird the comment like no this is not the onion you may yeah. think it's the but onion that but it's reality seem that way so often well i, I mean you could stay out of that stay out of that river you know no no but i mean it, it, it's it's how to find something that is funny without like online dating like to find the right the mm. right like Airbnb well, it's like the for your same brain. You were That's talking funny. Putting those together. Yeah, political humor and satire is something I wish I could do a lot better. I mean, it's really challenging, so hard. and there are a lot of mm. I think comedy writers out there. You know, obviously in the Onion and people who write for the New Yorker who just get oh it so God. well. Andy Borowitz, I do think is hilarious. Yeah, yeah. the Borowitz report. I mean, yeah. amazing. And then uh, it's so hard to stay funny. Right. You know, people get angry and they stop being funny. He's not gotten angry. <clears throat> no. And that's amazing. Yeah, he's still. I still think he's funny, and I do think. How do you keep going back to that same river? What is the phrase? I don't know. He does. He's able to. Same way. Is it every week? I think so. The Borowitz report. Yeah, so yeah. You I have think to come so. up with something. Sometimes, new like every day. I wonder if they have the like a headline. writer's room, like you do for a like you do for a TV show. Oh, I think I think Andy just. You think it's just him? <laughs> I think really? he's living the dream. Yeah. Too. So do you know him? Oh, I wish. Okay. I would love to meet him one day. I know, yeah, me too. So you got this good response to this medium story. Where did you go from there? Yeah, so after that, I realized, oh, people find some of my stuff kind of funny. This is really weird. Because, way, way to oversell it. No, I mean, it was <laughs> it was a really, I mean, to be honest, it was a very weird experience because I had not ever been that person who would make people laugh, you know, least of which in writing. That was just super weird experience for me. So I decided, okay, I need to learn something. So I took an online class to the Second City, and that was when I started just learning about, like, oh, what is this all about? And it was just a one-month class, but I learned a lot of the basics, and I think after that, that was when, and this is going to sound embarrassing, that was when I got exposed to, like, publications like, you know, the New Yorker Shots and Murmurs or the uh, McSweeney's. I was like, oh, people actually can do this and submit their pieces out there. Did they, uh, I am blown away by the this. O with their mouth. <laughs> well, because, A, that you just were – you just didn't overthink it. You just did it. He's an engineer. Love that. No, but I love that. <laughs> and I, I, I'm halfway joking because one of the notes I took was what can you take from one to the other? Because there's got to be something, even if it's just work ethic or being someone who approaches things as solvable puzzles. Mm-hmm. What- we had someone else in recently who was an engineer. Remember? A novelist. I can't remember who it was. Oh, um, oh yes. Linda. And oh, like, yeah. there is a way of, of like, projects, like, right? You just, you're just going to take it on and see it yeah. through. Workflow. Maybe. Yes. Yes. That's what she Synergy. Said. And, Synergy. And all oh, these synergy. words. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Deliverables. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, monetize. Take raise. Yeah. <laughs> um, and in this class, did you learn things about structure? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was, again, it was such a crazy experience for me because I didn't even know that there were these rules. And obviously, but I think. But are with, they? Yeah. And are yeah. You can tell us. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, um, I think a lot of comedians know this, but I think one of the things I learned in that class was, you know, the rule of three, right? You know, mm-hmm. making sure, oh, yeah. you know, when you say one thing, two thing, and then the third thing has to be like funny. It's the thing out of mm-hmm. it, right? Um, another thing I learned is always try to end with the funniest bit or the funniest word, right? Um, another thing I learned was to basically try 
try to keep it as short as possible, right? If you make it too long. So, I mean, these are, I think, obvious rules, but I had never heard of these. And I think that class helped cement some of it. And then going from there, I just said, okay, I'm going to see it, I think, to what Bridget's saying. It was like a puzzle. As an engineer, I approached it as a system that I want to reverse engineer. So I would study all of these pieces. Love this. You know, the funniest writers out there, I would take, okay, what are the most common words they're using? What are the most common jokes, common scenarios? Um, And then I would just reverse engineer and try to see... Am I, you know, hitting that kind of, you know, note? Now, as an engineer, having an engineer brain, all of the stuff that you learn eventually when you become an expert in this, you'll want to start breaking these rules. Do you think as an engineer that will keep you from wanting to break those rules? I think it's certainly I could see that happening, but I feel like, you know, I appreciate breaking rules and I want to break rules, right? I I know it's a really hard balance, but yeah, I mean, I would love to finally carve out, I think, a voice of my own that says, I'm going to do this all the time. I don't care what people think. And I don't think I've really found that yet. As a Conan O'Brien guy, I mean, that's kind of, he's a unique talent. Right. And some of the absurd stuff he does certainly breaks rules. And it's certainly stuff that he thinks is hilarious. (laughs) Yeah, he definitely breaks a lot of rules and social conventions. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And he's sorry about the hair. I don't think I've ever seen him live, or like his act. You don't even really have to see his act. I mean, some of the stuff, maybe not as much now. I haven't watched his show since it went to TBS. But in, when he started, mm-hmm. when he replaced Letterman, and he had nothing to lose, basically. Oh, right, totally. It was really off the top stuff, and or off just out of left field. And I love that. Yeah, he's re- he's really good. Do you are you interested at all since you live in San Francisco, like in San Francisco's comedy history? Like, do you ever listen to old recordings or? Are you a comedy historian? Yeah, are you that kind of guy? <sighs> I wish I was. Like, that's <laughs> the thing. I mean, I know there is a lot of history. We were talking about this, I think, you know, at the coffee shop. But yeah, I know there's a lot of history here that I just haven't really been too plugged into that history. And I think comedy in general, I know, you know, I hear comedians, you know, dropping names, saying this album, whatever, Steve Martin, whatever. And yeah. I, that's just something I didn't grow up with. You know, I grew up with Conan O'Brien, right? I grew right. up with, like, you know, Kirby Enthusiasm, right? Like, these kinds of shows. And I can certainly quote and remember that <clears throat> part of history. But, you know, going back, 1920. 19- I guess 1997, maybe 2004. Yeah, I just don't know any of that. Do you have a hunger for that? Um, I think as any student of of comedy, sure. Uh, But it's definitely not something I I tend to think about. Um, I just want to get better as a a comedian. Do they still do comedy albums? Like, that was such a thing when Larry and I were young. That was the thing for comedy albums. Yeah, they do that. in the same way. mm -hmm, I think they do it. Certainly, I mean, I know comedians right now who are doing like half-hour comedy central specials or whatever. They'll right, have like an audio right, right. Uh, component as well. Um, but I think it's mostly just video right now too. That's really. But you it. had told us before that you're more interested in being a comedic writer mm-hmm. than a stand-up comedian. How does that play out in the future? Right now, you're getting a lot of traction with short pieces. Do, do you, you see work that for like TV or something? Yeah. Do you see that being your path, or, or is, is the sky the limit? Do you have no idea? Or do you have a goal? You are an engineer. <laughs> yeah, you know, I sometimes think about this, and I, I wish I had something more concrete. I mean, I think, for me, the mere fact that I get to write I this stuff so and make cool. people laugh is just <laughs> a surreal experience. So I, I'm still trying to appreciate that. 
But I think long term, you know, there are a lot of projects that are interesting uh, to me. For example, like producing like a comedy musical album. So I grew up playing the piano. So I would love to like, you know, do sort of like a Bo Burnham kind of thing too. You know, maybe even produce like a one man show where like I get to do have comedy, but also storytelling, right? And also do like impressions too. Then you do have to get the Steve Martin album. You probably think that Tom Lehrer is corny. But he was this guy who played the piano, mm-hmm. who was the preeminent political comedian of the 50s and 60s, early 60s. Was it Tom Lear? Is that mm-hmm. how you pronounce it? L-E-H-R-E-R? I, think, I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, look into that. Um, I, I think that sounds so brilliant. I love that. It wow. does. And it's really, it's really fun to listen to you talk about this stuff as sort of a, I guess, a writing toddler. I mean, you're new. Very much so, Yeah. I do look 20, so yes. You do look 20. <laughs> and you haven't... Have people been telling you that? Oh, just right now. I, no, I accidentally misspoke, <laughs> I guess, but I'm just interested. I tell myself that. Oh, I know. I, I like to <laughs> tell myself that, 20. too. Yeah, I try to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, writing toddler. I love that phrase. Yeah, I guess I'm a writing toddler. I'm just still really learning a lot of, you know, the basics. And I just feel like... You know, we were talking about this earlier, right? Like, what does it mean to be a writer? And mm-hmm. I feel like right now, I, I guess I would consider myself first and foremost a student because I feel like I'm always learning, right? And mm-hmm. I think that's the kind of mindset I try to take before saying, oh, I'm a writer or I'm an engineer. It's like, I'm just learning. I'm a student. But that's such a brilliant toddler mindset, right? Because it's all going to happen for you then because you're just open. Because like, that's why toddlers learn so well. <clears throat> and I hope this isn't too inside baseball for our listeners, but, you know, you're a fairly new member of the Grotto. And you're probably one of the youngest members of the Grotto and probably one of the ones who's been writing the shortest amount of time and achieving the most success. <laughs> but <laughs> when you use this place and the resources that you have here, oh, yeah. is there any danger of running into quite a few disgruntled old timers? <laughs> it's uh, it's all comedic material for me. As uh, well. so I know. I could, watch really what I, say. I could really see that. I could really see that. No, but I mean, it, to me, it's such a real treat to be around you know people like you and others because – I think writers, they're a very interesting breed of people, you know, and I feel like if I were to, if, if it was the end of the world, which, you know, sadly is probably not be, yeah. too far off, and people were to ask me, you know, what tribe would you want to be a part of, right? Do you want to be part of, like, the engineering tribe, or do you want to be part of, like, the comedian tribe or the writer tribe? I would say the writer's tribe. Interesting. Even if it was bankrupt of comedy or whatever, I would say the writer's tribe. Yeah. I just feel like those are the people I gel with the most. Oh, that's oh, that's really interesting. I don't know what tribe I'm going to be in, but I'm going to be at Home Depot. <laughs> not Home Depot. I'll be at Costco. I'll tell you that right now. You know what my plan is? What? Uh, is to run to, because I live kind of near USF, I'm going to run into the church. Oh, you're going to go for a little divine inter- intervention. Well, I just know that the Jesuits have got things stocked up. Hmm. They're going to take care of their Costco. students. They're going to no. They're going to take care of the students. I'm just going to go there. That Here's is my, my quick argument plan. in favor of Costco: food, yeah, beds, clothing. Everyone's going to think about tires, cement walls. <laughs> Same with the church. Probably yes. best for zombie <laughs> apocalypse. Church doesn't have free samples. Oh, wafers, wafers. That's true. That's true. Wine. I'm That's not going true. to temple. I'll tell you that. I would not mind drinking the blood of Jesus. <laughs> so come over to St. Ignatius. Actually, there are, this city is lousy with Catholic churches, so just head on in. It's got a lot Actually, of Actually, you know what's Catholic probably a good churches. one is, um, what's the one, the St. Mary's Cathedral? Because that's, oh, that's the, the one, one that looks in, like, a, like a washing machine. Our Lady uh, of the Perpetual Agitation Cycle. Is that the one up on the, uh, this is fascinating radio. For <laughs> At any rate, but it's all uh, concrete. There you so go. I think that's the place to go. I'll think about that. Farther away, though. Hey, Irving. Uh, this is probably too <laughs> early to ask this question as a writing toddler, but do you ever see a point when you are no longer an engineer and you are a full-time writer? Ooh. 
And if so, have you broached this subject with your parents? And how will they take it? I have. Oh, it was, uh, oh wow. It was very... Uh, okay, but now we're yeah. treading on dangerous stereotype ground. Yeah, exactly. It was very... Um, Let's just say it got really heated, if you will. Really? Um, yeah. So and are your parents STEM people? They are. Yeah. So my mom, um, before we immigrated, she was a doctor in China. Now she's a scientist, and my dad's an engineer. So mm-hmm. they come from a STEM background. I think that's mm-hmm. part of the influence why I went to, into STEM. Um, but I remember last year when I floated that idea to them, like, "Hey, mom, dad, like, I'm kind of enjoying this whole writing thing. How do you guys feel about me potentially, you know, doing writing full time?" I just remember they were not. Even if you could match it. income. What's that? Even if you could match in- income? Well, let's be real. Let's I know. <laughs> There's A, no way. Yeah, B, what's the long term? Hey, I mean, if you're a parent, you're like, I'll well, what's what? the future? Maybe it's going okay right now. This guy yeah. who's sitting in the room with us, yes. because of what you do and how much early success you had and the way you're doing it, I think you have more potential to make a lot of money in L.A. than right, anyone not, else maybe in Maybe not here. San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the track you're on can lead to TV and movies and good jobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah. kind of told you that before you talked to your parents. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. It's still pie in the sky, though, dude. He's got a job. That's true, and it's probably. But I do very much life. enjoy it, and I think that's the thing where I passionate. Think, you know, um, I have a lot of friends who you know are in L.A. and New York, and you know, they're really funny people, and I think they want to write for TV, and I see that as an outsider, right? Because I'm not in those mm-hmm. comedy ones. I see as an outsider, it's really hard mm-hmm. to break in, and that's not certainly a deterrent, but it's something that makes me think about, like, I have to ask myself why. Like, why do I, if I want to do it, why do I want to do it? And to be honest, right now, I don't have really a compelling reason to get into entertainment right now in my life. Right, I mean, right, right now. I, yeah, right now. And I just, I mean, the sheer pleasure of just writing is really fun. Um, I have always that's had huge. in my heart to write novels. Oh. Um, and that's that's why when I Very was, lucrative. Now we have turned, well, it's not all about the lucrative, though. This is yeah. true. But, I, but what you just said about it, it's really fun and what's in your heart, sometimes it does help to not have your livelihood depend on that. You know? It does, but to play devil's advocate a little bit, do you feel like you are holding yourself back? Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes I feel, you know, if I had, like, the full day to yeah. practice. Or, there, you know, there's Irving. He can't go on the road. Right. Right. On the other hand, me and Larry have the whole day. And how much did you get done today? Well, I've been here the whole day. But oh. yesterday, I not, worked oh, for a few hours. I know. I get some stuff done, too. But I guess I would have thought before I was a full-time writer, I would get a lot more done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, like, do you think that... Because you are so busy, that that almost encourages you to use that time wisely. Absolutely, yeah. It's a really great forcing it's, function. I for agree. Me to, mm-hmm. I completely you know, agree. Do that absolutely. I feel like once I had kids, I got in some ways more done for a while than before I had them. Partly because it forced me to just concentrate and get shit done. Yeah, some of the I think the most productive writers I know are parents. Right. Yeah. And I think it, certainly to your point, yeah, they know how to use their time really well because of their kids. It's like Vanessa Waugh. Challenge. Yeah. Good lord. Let's go back to this novel thing. Okay. What do you say? Yeah, so, let's talk about that. This is, your, this is your long-term pie-in-the-sky yeah. dream. Are, yeah. What are you doing to get Love toward it? it? I am thinking about what is the book in me that I want to write. Comedic? Um, you know, it's definitely uh, something that I would love to do, but I just feel it's really hard, I think, to write a really funny novel. I've read it funny is. novels, and I just feel it's so hard to do. Um, but then again, for me, like, it's interesting to say this right now, but, you know, I grew up as a voracious reader. I mean, I'm the only child, you know, what to kind my of stuff knowledge. What's that? Uh, what's that? <laughs> I know. Like, he 
mentioned that more than once. (laughs) Um, What uh, what kind of stuff did you like to read, or what do you like to read? Yeah, I mean, I grew up on a steady diet of like Tolkien and C.S. Lewis and Dickens and Dostoevsky, and you know, I mean, really across the whole thing. The whole thing. I would read everything. So, who was feeding you that stuff? Myself. You were just finding it. Yeah. Yeah, I had to find my own form of entertainment because I didn't have thirty siblings. minutes a day. They wouldn't let you get the internet. I know, thirty right. minutes a day of the internet. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. My parents would live in the, limit my internet, so I, ha- I had to I had to find other means of entertainment. So, have you written fiction? I mean, or, outside of yeah. outside of the. I mean, I I consider the comedy you're writing in a way yeah. fiction but storytelling. But reading that's not funny. No, yeah. I mean, you don't go to Dostoevsky. Dostoevsky is pretty funny. <laughs> No. Yeah. Oh, so many chuckles in Brothers Karamazov, for sure. <laughs> I agree. Uh, Just seeing Karamazov is kind exactly. of Exactly. I like The Idiot. That's funny. It was a that. Very, that was a very sweet book. I found it very sweet. Oh, no, I love The Idiot. Um, partly because, newsflash, I had epilepsy when I was a kid. And Did so that, know that. So that book, when I read it, first of all, called The Idiot. That was, like, interesting. But um, I, it's made me think a lot about a lot of things. Uh, Dostoevsky does that. Yeah. It makes you think. Absolutely. Deep thinking. But doesn't make you laugh. There are some things in the idiot that do make me laugh, actually, but not in the way that Brothers Karamazov. No, for sure not. <clears throat> so you're putting together the idea of what this novel would be that you'd want to get started on. Um, I was going to ask you what that would look like, but I'm actually interested in. So when you decided to write comedy, you took a class and you learned so structure. I was wondering to you. Are you doing anything to that end? Not with novel writing. I feel like I should, but I just don't even know where to start. But there's so many classes out there. How yeah. do you pick the right one? Pick You're one in here. such the right place. Yeah. yeah. Or just join the novel writing yeah. group and start yeah. writing shit. Because the novel writing group, again, really interesting for our listeners, but the novel writing group, this is what goes on at the Grotto. It's not a workshop. It's more of a support group. So you go there with your idea and you bounce it off people and they say, oh, why don't you try this? Mm. And you say, hey, I'm going to bring in 10 pages next time. Yeah. Hold me accountable. Something to think about. But do you have a general idea of what you do want it to be comedic or not? I think I want certainly elements of comedy, but I just feel if it was marketed straight up as like a humor book, uh, I, I'm i trying to think ahead here in terms of you know how will audiences react. And Such an engineer. <laughs> Where is it <laughs> going to be in the bookstore? No, but like that's the thing, right? Because I think smart. I'm just trying to so analyze smart. the, the so sort smart. of the attitude of the general literary market right now. I think the people responding to books, I mean, there are a lot of books... Out there, I mean, I certainly like any sort of writer. I want the book to do well, and looking at the books I think to do well, I mean, they're of serious magnitude. You know, like they're not humor books. They're, I mean, maybe Some aside are. from Mindy Some Kaling are. or Nora Ephron, or I mean, a few of these writers. But most, do you think Tom Barada's funny? I think he's funny. He's funny-ish. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think a lot of the books that really resonate with people, you know, have that serious element, yeah. and I don't want to. You know, sell myself short and say oh, I'm not going to write any comedy, and I'm going to certainly have elements of humor. But I, I want it to be something that means something to people. I think, like any writer, right? yeah. And I think it's just finding what is that story that I can tell that only I can tell. And right now, I feel like I haven't found something that is really truthful to me. And I don't want to just start writing a book for the sake of writing a book, right? Well, but if you want to end up as a novelist, you got to have more than one story. So maybe don't put so much pressure on yourself to tell that one story. Yeah, and that's that's the. I completely agree, and the fear I have is once I write a book and once it's out there, if that ever happens, I can never take it back. I know, <laughs> that's true, though, and that's a big deal. But, you know, uh, fiction writing, all kinds of writing, right? It's like a muscle that you have to practice, mm-hmm. and it's kind of hard to shoot for a really good novel the first time. 
Right. That's just that's just advice from an old lady. John Madison <laughs> set fire to how many novels before he got one published? Eight. Yeah, that's crazy though. That dude's nutsoid. <laughs> In the best possible way, because it takes that kind of like crazy passion. <clears throat> it does. Yeah. Maybe not. I mean, look, Irving's already published great places. Like maybe, maybe you can just think it through and make it happen. That would be amazing. Would you describe yourself as passionate about writing? Yes. I know, <laughs> yes, I would think so. Yeah. Yeah, I'm nodding. By the way, because um, you're passionate. Or no, do you think he is? I'm nodding because I thought he was. Yeah, I think I so mean, too. It's definitely a really great love affair right now, is what I'll say. Oh, and that's I, so nice. I wish, uh, I hope that love affair never dies. Uh, and I worry sometimes. I think back to the previous point about what if I were to somehow transform that into a living, will that cease to be love? And mm. I think I have never been in that situation, so I can't say. But that is definitely a fear I have, uh, certainly. Um, so we'll see. The way I see it is, uh, technology is my wife, but literature is my mistress in a way. You know? Oh, so, oh I like a little it. metaphoric action going on there. And how often do you visit your mistress? As often as I try to. Yeah, every day? <laughs> Be like the French guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I try to every day. I mean, I feel consistency has been something I, I try to strive for, and it's de- certainly helped me uh, try to improve. But, yeah, I mean, I love it so much that I feel very lucky that I try to get so it So do, do you do it every day? I'm so impressed by that. Yeah, after I, work every day? I, Usually awesome. before work, yeah, oh. and, yeah. What time do you have to go to work? Usually by 8.30, 9, okay. something so like it's, that. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. you just get up early and get started. Mm-hmm. That's the way, man. I got up at 3 this morning and started working. On purpose? No. But if you're awake, you might as well. That's what I thought. <laughs> we're, uh... <laughs> He's bashing my work ethic. We're, I have all people. We're winding down here. Um, and it's hot, right? And it's getting warm. I don't want to yeah. Irving still has his scarf on, though. He's a cool yeah, customer. Though he's finished his little tiny glass of water, I just noticed. I wish um, I could give you more water. What do you got coming up? In terms of projects? In terms of projects, yeah, and, you know, we haven't really, we didn't really talk about you performing. Are you performing? Not so much right now in the season. Yeah, I mean, I if you like to see me, that's great. But I, I hope yeah. you're not demanding for a refund because that's the oh, kind of. Oh, because you uh, back out? No, no. I mean, that's just a kind of general. You flop? Reaction. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You flop? I, I bomb a lot. Uh, yeah, I mean, right now I'm just still, you know, practicing writing some comedy. Uh, right now I'm trying to put together like a one man show, so mm-hmm. I'm writing a few skits, a mm-hmm. uh, few jokes for that. Um, performance, <clears throat> like doing impressions, like uh, basically a collage. And you're while. handling the whole doing thing, it. right? Yeah, yeah. So um, it's going to be a mix of storytelling, stand up comedy, music, me doing like impressions of characters. So uh, we'll see how that goes. It's like old fashioned yeah. comedy. But, and once that's so all good. done, though, you have to find a place to put it on. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so you're that guy. That's it. Just you. Yep, just me. So there are a lot of great venues, obviously, in uh, San Francisco for that. I think Canada Fight's been really cool. I've you know performed there before, so I think that's going to be an option. But yeah, it's going to hopefully try to put something like that on early next year. So that's definitely on the on the foreground right now. So cool. Well, if you ever want to start a comedy writing group at the Grotto, tell me. I want to join that. Oh yeah, that'd be cool. I know. Um, so your regular class. day is wake up, write. Go to work, be passionate about work, come home, do an open mic. It was like that before for a good amount of time. Now it's just come home and write again. Okay. This might be why the online dating thing 
Because you have to like meet people in the real world. Yeah, no, to, I'm back. Climbing to gym area. is actually a really good place. That's true. Yeah, for that's meeting very people. True. Yeah, I'm back to mushrooming. Uh, that's <laughs> so. You have like a giant head. Awesome <laughs> quote to be taken out of context. Uh oh. <laughs> right. right. Uh oh. Okay, and uh, if people want to find your work. I know you have a great repository. Did I use that word right? Repository? Mm-hmm. I didn't want to say suppository by accident. <laughs> um, That's I have the done wrong that. word. I know. You've done that? <clears throat> On, <don't. laughs> Said it by accident? <laughs> yes. No. But okay. I almost have a million times. <clears throat> that makes me squirm. Literally. <laughs> uh, where can they find your stuff? Yeah, most of my uh, writing is on my website at irvingruan.com, so just my full name.com, and you can see some of my stuff on there. Um, sometimes I try to workshop jokes on Twitter, so if you're in the mood to be disappointed, you can also see me on Twitter. Um, but those are probably the main main forms where you can find some of my stuff. Irving is great on Twitter. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you're you. good on Twitter. She's lying. She's, lying. She's a known know. liar. <laughs> Bridget Quinn, author. What if someone wants to add to your growing fame... <laughs> By learning all about you. Uh, well, they could also follow me on Twitter at Bequinterest, which is a joke, Irving. Bequinterest, like Pinterest? I know it's not funny. That's the problem. At Bequinterest. We can't all be comedians. In, I know. That's sad. Instagram, Twitter, that's it. And then BridgetQuinnAuthor.com because there's too many. There are so – so I have Google alerts with my name. Oh, really? So much livestock named Bridget Quinn for some reason. Livestock? livestock? Yes. Cows, that giant horses, cow was it named Bridget Quinn? Goats, no, but it's amazing. At any Son rate, of a gun. That's why you need BridgetQuinnAuthor.com. When you get tired of looking at stuff from Bridget Quinn Author, you can look for me. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at that Larry Rosen. But I have to warn you, I decided this morning I'm only <laughs> posting things about my dog from now on because it's totally uncontroversial. People love it, and it's a good opportunity to create a character. He really isn't that interesting. He's just a dog. He's a really cute corgi. He's old. Uh, what else? I don't have a website uh, per se, but I do have another podcast, and it's called Is It Good for the Jews? And we have a website, isitgoodforthejews.com. It's occasionally funny because we are Jews. We do that sometimes. As for the Grotto Pod itself, you can find us everywhere you find podcasts. And when you go there, say you go to iTunes, you find the Grotto Pod, what you need to do, subscribe. And give it five stars. Give it five stars. Even Tell all your friends. We're, we have a very long outro, but... That's okay. <laughs> you should give us six if they had six because of our outro. Uh, you can also email us at grottopod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the grottopod. I promise not to post pictures of my dog there because you'll find them on my feed. Hey, did someone produce this podcast? Yes. Or was I it thank just you for us? asking because it's so hot. We have to get done. Mm-hmm. Uh, Beth Weingarner, Lee Kravitz, and Lorianne Doyle. Thank you, our producers. And also, speaking of Lorianne Doyle, uh, we want to thank our partner Babylon Salon, San Francisco's premier literary series, and you should find out about their next event at BabylonSalon.com. So many good writers. Their next one, I believe, is springtime. The next one's Saturday, but th- that's but too late for these be, people. Yeah, airing after that. And I'll be at the spring one. <gasps> oh! What? Hey! All right, do, do you happen do you know to the know date? the date off the top of your head? March 2nd, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. at the Armory. That means I'll be there, too, because I want to see him on stage. Me, too. This so, is so I, brilliant. Even though I've been told I'll be disappointed. I'm going to go date. It's getting really hot in here. Yeah. Ooh, just turned up the heat a little bit. <laughs> the, the, you knew the date is, like, so pro. I can't even believe it. Well, we've said a lot of stuff, but I believe one of us has one more thing to say. I just want to say, you guys. Read, write, and just keep working. 